80% of these women had experienced erectile dysfunction with a partner. One out of seven had experienced being blamed by their partner for their erections. I just wanted to repeat this one more time. Yeah. That yeah. women are not the ones to, to blame. blame. Correct. Can we, I, I, can they, we, should we say it many more times? <laughs> women are not the ones to blame for your partner's erectile dysfunction. Correct. Women, women are really not to blame for their partner's erectile dysfunction. Obviously, relationship issues are different. We're all reasonable here. Like, things can happen, but you know, how we handle situations in the bedroom can really have an impact outside of the bedroom and mm -hmm. in the relationship as a whole. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I am very happy with today's episode. I interviewed Justin Dupin. He is a specialist for men's health. He's a urologist, and I feel like my content is about dating and standards and relationships and sex, but I feel like a big part of sex is understanding how we function our actual, you know, tools. And a lot of times women have questions and maybe they're not open enough with their partners to talk about those questions, or maybe you just started dating somebody and there are some things that you don't really understand when it comes to your sex life with that significant other. So I wanted to have Justin on the podcast to answer all of those questions that maybe you even had some issues in your life. Maybe you have a partner that's struggling with erectile dysfunction. We talked about blue balls. We talked about pornography. We talked about misconceptions, vasectomy. I, it was just a very educational conversation. And I hope you're going to enjoy this episode and share it with your partner, share it with your male friends and female friends. I mean, share it with anybody who is going to find this episode useful. And I want to invite you all to please click that subscribe and follow button on the podcast podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review because it helps the show grow. Without further ado, let's now hear from Justin. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mr. Dubin, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Okay, today we have a very interesting topic. We're talking about penises. <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I thought that this is going to be a very educational episode for my audience because my audience is 90% female and we pretty much thought more about our own bodies growing up, even though not as much as they are doing it today. 
But we, I mean, I talk about relationships, I talk about sex, I talk about all these things, but I realized that even myself, I don't really know much about penises. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. let me find somebody who knows all about them. So Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. We're going to also learn about balls too. Don't forget that. It's very important, you know, all of it. So we're going to learn a lot about penis and balls. You know, okay. So. <laughs> Let's start with an introduction. Tell me sure. more about yourself, what you do, and why do you, why are you the, the, the chosen candidate for this conversation? Well, I'm honored to be the chosen candidate, but a little bit about myself. My name is Justin Dubin. I'm a urologist. I specialize in men's health, male infertility, sexual medicine. Um, I originally grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I did my undergrad at Johns Hopkins. I majored in biology. Um, I ended up then doing my medical school back at Rutgers in Robert Wood Johnson, New Jersey. Um, and there I got really interested in urology. Um, I actually took some time off and did some research in urology at, at Cornell. I did some bladder cancer, prostate cancer, kidney cancer research. And I became very passionate about urology. So I ended up coming down here to University of Miami, um, where I did my urology residency. And so that's where I became a doctor. And then I specialized in urology. And urology is the field where basically anything uh, that you can pee out of is the genital urinary system. So anything you can pee out of, which means your kidneys, something called the ureters, your bladder, your prostate as men, um, but also, you know, your penis, your testicles. We also, there's urogyne, right? So gynecologist, but there's also a, a urological component. So we do deal with, you know, uh, vaginal prolapse and things like that as well. I wanted to really specialized though um, in male infertility, sexual medicine, men's health. And uh, so I took an extra year. I went to Chicago. I specialized and did a super subspecialty called fellowship in men's health at, at Northwestern. I completed that in 2022. And now I'm back here. I practice um, in Broward at Memorial Healthcare Systems as a men's health specialist. Um, and what I really love about men's health specifically is it's kind of twofold. One, I deal with infertility and I deal with sex. And obviously, I think everyone enjoys talking about sex, but I love the idea where most medicine, we're talking about preventing you from dying, you know, trying to live longer, and sometimes at cost of the quality of your life. But a lot of the things that I deal with are improving the quality of your life. I want you to live your best life, and there's ways I can do that. And when we're talking about sex and fertility, it's not just one person. There's usually a partner involved. So I'm improving your life. I'm improving your partner's life. And as a couple as a whole, we're, we're, you know, achieving something that I find very satisfactory in, in when I'm taking care of my patients. The other thing that I do want to stress, and, and we'll learn about it today, is that the idea of sexual health, fertility health, is these things are health. Sexual health is health. And what you'll see is that if you have sexual health issues, this goes for men and women, um, it's often an early sign of possible other health problems, or it is a direct relation to other health problems. So I think, you know, if you're having sexual health issues as a man or as a woman, um, I think it's something worth talking about with your doctor. Um, and there's this huge stigma on these things, and I've, I've really become passionate about talking about these things. And that's why it's, it's really an honor to come on today uh, to do this. I mean, I have a men's health podcast called Man Up, A Doctor's Guide to Men's Health. We did it started about a year ago just for these reasons alone, so that, you know, guys have an accurate 
form or, or resource to get good medical data-driven information. Because as we know online, there's a lot of bad information out there and it can be very overwhelming. So uh, hopefully today we'll get some stuff clear for both guys and for girls and, you know, get a good path. If you're having issues, I can point you, we can maybe point you in the right direction of where to go. You mentioned something very interesting and that is that there's a lot of information out there and it's very, it's very confusing in the sense like you don't know who you should trust. There's a lot of, you know, bloggers sharing tips, doctors, which are not really doctors. So if somebody is interested into learning more about actual sexual health, what would be the best resource? So I want to give you some data that I think is very important. We've reached a point where TikTok, Instagram, all these places have replaced the doctor for most people. A a recent study came out. They showed that about 33% of Americans, before they talk to their doctors about healthcare, their health problems, they go to YouTube for advice. 20% go to TikTok for advice. And actually, this was surprising. 37% of Americans say that they trust an influencer before they trust a doctor for health information. So it's exactly what you said. And then about 50%, yeah, it's crazy. 50% of people will buy a health product on social media without consulting a doctor. So, you know, this is a big problem. And we've done research. I've personally done research in misinformation online. We found that, you know, we looked at men's health topics, testosterone, fertility, erectile dysfunction. And we found that on TikTok and Instagram, um, in general, uh, the information is very bad. Um, only about 10% of that information was given by doctors uh, on Instagram and TikTok, at least in the study that we did for men's health. Um, and, and so it kind of makes sense because you're listening to someone who's probably not specialized. So the question is, how do I know if I'm getting good information? I think the first thing you have to ask is, what am I trying to find online? Am I trying to get information on a disease? Am I trying to find healthcare options for treatment? Um, and, and you kind of have to first come up with a question that you want to ask yourself. The second thing is, you know, who am I looking at? Like, who is this person online? Is this just some person on Instagram who says, you know, whatever, my penis doesn't work and now I'm using this device and I'm just jabbing it on my penis all day and it's going to work. This is the men because I see that all the time. And um, who is this random dude? Should I listen to them? Um, and then you have to ask, what is that person's motivation? Are they sponsored by the device? Um, are they using data driven in their studies or are they just making claims? So I think it's it's very hard sometimes to navigate online, social media, uh, just articles online. So I think if you really do have questions, you know, there are good data-driven websites. It really depends on your specialty uh, or the, the, the specialty of interest. But in general, I would always recommend talking with a specialist or your primary care doctor, even if it's worth sending them a message, um, to see whether you should either buy something or do something. And, and they can at least give you some insight. Um, online, for me, for, for really good sexual health information, there's two websites. Um, SMSNA is the Sexual Medicine Society of North America. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a committee member, one of the head committee members for like social media and awareness for that them. Uh, so it's smsna.org. Um, and there's another one for fertility is asrm.org is, uh, is a fertility one. So those are two great websites you can get data-driven uh, information from both uh, standpoint of sexual health and covers men and women and fertility men and women. Okay, let's talk about, since we're talking about penises, right? Let's talk about yeah. what, what are the most common sexual health issues 
overall? Like, let's say so, guys, what would they mostly come with? Yeah, no. Uh, so the most common sexual health issue is by far erectile dysfunction. Um, about 50% of men over their lifetimes will experience erectile dysfunction. And we do know that it is an age dependent thing, but we do know, no pun intended, erectile dysfunction is on the rise uh, amongst <laughs> younger people. Um, so the, the rates of erectile dysfunction, there's been data showing now as high as 30% of guys under the age of 40 have erectile dysfunction. Now it's 40% in their 40s. It's pretty easy to remember. 50% in their 50s, 60% in their 60s, 70% in their 70s. And I think it's really interesting. And I think erectile dysfunction is such a great topic for discussion for understanding sexual health and the implications that other things can have on your health and your sexual health. Um, because, you know, when it comes to getting an erection, I think most people think like, oh, you know, we're kind of just dumb people. You know, we, our penis goes up, it goes down, it works or it doesn't work. But it's actually a little bit more complicated that. And so to kind of give you an idea of, you know, things that can go wrong for an erection, I want you to understand what you need to get a good erection. Okay, so you need five good things to get an erection. You need good blood flow to your penis, right? So an erection is literally dilating your, your uh, arteries, the blood flows into your penis. And so if you have bad vessels, you know, that can compromise your, your erections. And one thing that we often see is heart disease. It is actually the first early indicator of heart problems of heart, like five to 10 years. It's a early indicator that you're at risk for heart, heart attacks. We call it the canary in the coal mine. So you have vascular disease, heart disease, things like smoking can call, can worsen that. So these are things that can, can compromise your erections too. You need good nerves to your penis. Now, this can be damaged by things like surgery, if you had trauma, spinal cord injuries. But another thing that people don't think about is diabetes. So if you're overweight, you're not taking care of yourself. You know, your nerves in your penis, people think diabetes, they think your vision is compromised, your hands, your feet. But the nerves in your penis are much smaller than all those nerves. I don't care how big your penis mm -hmm. is, they're going to be smaller. <laughs> um, so that's another thing. Three, you need good hormone levels. You need good testosterone levels. So if you have low testosterone, you know, you can have erectile dysfunction. And the four, the, the last two, I think, are more interesting to a lot of women or at least partners, guys' partners, is four, and this kind of sounds obvious, but you have to be aroused. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, relationships are complicated. I often see, you know, as a couple grows in age, you know, they've been in a relationship for 20 years, 30 years, bodies change, people's preferences change. And that's just unfortunately something that happens. And often other things, you know, you had an argument with your partner and you, and you just aren't attracted to them in that moment. You know, maybe you're just not going to get it up at that point. And often the solution for things like that, I often refer to sex therapists. And that's a, it's a great resource for a lot of people, sex, relationship therapists. And, uh, and, and it's very helpful. And then the last thing, um, you need to be in a good state of mind. So, you know, if you have significant depression, anxiety, uh, you know, um, any kind of like fear or, or concerns, you know, or if sometimes if you're getting treated for depression, anxiety, those medications, unfortunately, can also cause compromised uh, uh, sexual health and erections. So, you know, you need to be in a good state of mind because to quote the great, the great late Robin Williams, he said, God gave man a brain and a penis 
and only a blood, enough blood to control one at a time. And he's right. So, you know, if you're all up in here, you're just not going to work down there. And, and it's really the truth. So if you understand that there's so many different levels of which, you know, your erection can, a man's erection can fail, you understand that, you know, health is a big part of this. Mental health, physical health, you know, the biopsychosocial component is huge um, when it comes to erectile dysfunction. Okay, so many things here that I want to discuss. Yeah, please. When somebody is in a relationship and they feel like their partner is constantly stressed and that's why he can't get an erection, you're going to feel that maybe he's cheating on you. Maybe he is um, just not interested in you. Right. What should you know at that point or how can you help him to get out of the funk? Because oftentimes women are blamed for lack of erection. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get into the blame in a second, but um, I think it's a really great point. And I think the key to a lot of the things we're going to talk about today is communication. Now, guys don't want to communicate. And sometimes it's intimidating for guys to communicate to their partner if they're having these issues. And it's also intimidating for girls to, uh, uh, you know, approach the guys with these, with these kinds of issues. You know, if stress is a big component, you know, in, in life and, and, you know, we all go through ebbs and flows of stress in our lives and it's understandable. Sometimes you're just not in the mood for a bit. Um, but I think if it's becoming a prevalent problem, I think you, you can, you know, it has to be directly approached. Like maybe, you know, Hey, your penis doesn't work. is probably not the best way of going about it, but <laughs> you know, Hey, listen, you know, we haven't been, we haven't been intimate in a while. Um, is it, you know, I would love to know, like, how are you dealing with the stress at work? I noticed that a lot of stuff's going on. Is there something that I can do or we can do together? Um, is there someone you want to talk to? Talk to? Does it, ha it doesn't have to be me. Um, you know, there's a lot of great people. And I think as we've, we've really advanced as a society in the last five, 10 years where we understand that mental health is a really important component of uh, all aspects of our lives. And I think we often forget the sexual health aspect. So I think, you know, approaching it just as a mental health aspect, it, you can, you can maybe make it more approachable than just relating it to sex. Um, but I think a lot of times, you know, like it's, you can say, Hey, listen, you know, it's okay. Like we all have our problems. Do you want, do you want to talk to a doctor about it? Do you want to see someone about it? And oftentimes I have, especially, and we'll talk about fertility stuff later, but you know, a lot of the times for fertility, the wife is the one bringing them in and the guy doesn't want to come talk about it. And sometimes mm -hmm. even for erections, it's the same thing. So I, I think that sometimes, you know, you, if you have that relationship and it is a serious relationship and you, and you feel like it is a problem, I think it's okay to address it, but just not be obviously overbearing or aggressive on it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of guys, if you come to them with a conversation saying, Hey, I noticed that, you know, your penis is not really working properly. Let's go see someone. They're going to find that as a attack on their manhood. Yeah. They're going to be super defensive and I, it might sometimes cause even more issues than, you know, fixing the situation. But yeah, I mean, obviously open communication is key and that's the only way you can resolve something. Um, yeah, I mean, what about they're not going to acknowledge it. If they, don't, if they can't acknowledge it, we're never going to fix it, right? Like, it's <laughs> part of it. Fact. What about, let's say you met somebody brand new and you are supposed to sleep together for the very first time and he just can't get it up? Right. So, you know, this obviously happens a lot, uh, believe it or not. And it's really 
not your fault. I think a lot of the time, like women need to know it's not your fault. Like that's the biggest thing to understand in general. Like it, I, there's extreme situations, of course, not everything's a hundred percent, but in general, it's not your fault. Like, listen, I have seen so many young guys in my office coming in. They said, Hey, listen, I, you know, had a, you know, I was on a couple of dates with this girl. I really liked her. I couldn't get it up and it just kind of has destroyed me. Um, I never had this issue before. Like, what do I do? And often it is one of those five things. And, and, and one of the things is, is anxiety. Guys can get performance anxiety. If, especially if you really like someone, you can get in your head. Sometimes, as we all know, also alcohol is involved and alcohol usually doesn't help as well. Um, you whiskey dick is real. It, it can happen. <laughs> um, and so combine, you know, uh, an intimate event with like, with your, a first time person that you care about, guys can get nervous and they can not perform. Now, how the guy reacts in that moment is also very important to the situation, right? You know, hopefully there's no blame. There's no, you know, there's a conversation, um, or at least the, the communication level is okay. But girl, women should not, you know, take that as a personal affront. And, and most of the time, I guarantee you the guy is attracted, but they get stuck in their heads for whatever reason. Let's talk about blame. I know that you did a research investing the role of male blame on relationships and women's health yeah. and wellness. Yes. Tell us more about that. So this idea of blame, it's almost like pretty much exactly what you're saying. You know, often uh, we started hearing, man, a couple of my partners uh, were hearing... Uh, my work partners, not like, but uh, <laughs> just to clarify. Uh, 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 but we, we were hearing a lot of women coming in and, and, and with their partners and saying like, hey, you know, I, I, I keep getting blamed for my partner's erection. Like, is this my fault? I feel very guilty. Like, is this, is this something that I should be fixing? What can I do? And, you know, it actually became so prevalent. I was getting concerned because I was like, no, it's really not your fault unless there's like, obviously I mentioned like a significant relationship issue. There's some kind of other things going on, but in general, it's not a real problem. So what we did is we surveyed 13,000 women and we asked them, you know, had they experienced erectile dysfunction ever with a partner? Have they ever been blamed for erectile dysfunction? And how did that impact the relationship and their sexual, you know, relationship with that person. So out of the 13,000 women, we, and this is of all age groups, older than 18 and older, and we had women as high as, as old as 80, but it was a pretty younger distribution, but about 80% of women have experienced at least one time having a partner have erectile dysfunction. So once again, we know that 50% of guys in general but, you know, there's situational erectile dysfunction. Just because a guy has erectile dysfunction once doesn't mean he's going to have it again. But 80% of these women had experienced erectile dysfunction with a partner. One out of seven, and this is concerning, one out of seven, that's like almost 15%, had experienced being blamed by their partner for their erections. Now, what's also worrisome about this, go ahead. I just oh, wanted to, uh, yes, I just wanted to repeat this one more time. Yeah. That yeah. women are not the ones to, to blame. blame. 
Correct. Can I, we? I, can I, we? Should we say it many more times? <laughs> women are not the ones to blame for your partner's erectile dysfunction. Correct. Women. Women are really not to blame for their partner's erectile dysfunction. There's a lot of stuff. Like I said, obviously relationship issues are different. It's a separate thing. But in general, women are mm -hmm. not to blame for their partner's erectile But it's crazy that, that you know, the statistics that you just mentioned, that so many people are experiencing that. I was surprised. I, mean, I didn't think it was going to be that many. One out of seven. So it's a lot. Yeah. But, but what was also concerning was that the women who were blamed, we found that they were more likely to end the sexual encounter kind of no shit, right? Um, they felt a stronger <laughs> sense of responsibility and worry. They were less overall sexually satisfied and they were more likely to end a relationship due to their partner's erectile dysfunction or had ended a relationship due to their partner's erectile dysfunction. So I think that's really saying like, listen, I think we're all reasonable here. Like things can happen, but you know, how we handle situations in the bedroom can really have an impact outside of the bedroom and in the relationship as a whole. What do you think? No, I think that when, you know, you have issues in any aspect of your relationship, communication is key. And if one person is blaming the other, it's just, there's a saying like there, it takes two to, or like there, you need two, two hands to tango. To clap, it takes two, two to, tango. to tango. Like it's two, it's always two people. You, it's not one or the other. And if somebody's blaming you for their own issues, it's just avoiding responsibility. And it's so much easier to blame the other person. Well, I think like, I just want to give you from, I think what I think is often happening in these scenarios is, you know, obviously we mentioned sex is an intimate thing, especially if you're talking about a first time relation like having sex, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure there because, you know, people put a lot, especially guys and women too, like they put a lot of, you know, stock into that in a relationship. And I think when, when men are unable to perform, especially on that first time or that second time, there's this huge, you know, damage to their masculinity. They're embarrassed and, mm -hmm. and like, you know, they're not performing how they, expected to be. And so, you know, this idea of not being a man, they want to defer that probably potentially onto their partner. And, you know, I, I think they don't want their partner to be like, yo, I'm not, I'm not lesser. And I think mm -hmm. there's two things, which was interesting was, you know, obviously, so obviously men have to appropriately respond in these situations when you have erectile dysfunction and not put blame on the partner. But, you know, I, so we, when, when I submitted, when we published the survey, I got a couple interesting responses back too, which I didn't think about this perspective. Um, one was, uh, and it was from a lot of guys saying, this is a very insightful study. We agree, but also I've been in scenarios where the female started laughing at me or started making fun of me. Yeah. And I, I, and they were like, and I didn't blame, but I felt very uncomfortable. So like, I mm -hmm. think there is a, it's important to be respectful on both sides. Obviously the blame part is a huge problem, but you know, mm -hmm. you're both intimate, you're both like in an intimate setting, you're both being very vulnerable. I think the worst you, thing you can do is kind of almost egg each other on or feel feel shame on both aspects as well. I love that you said that. I uh, I think that's really important to mention. And you also shouldn't like point fingers at him and be like, this is what's going on. You got to fix it. You mentioned performance and uh, a lot of men are watching pornography where women yes. are often performing in very different ways. And yes. sometimes men think that that's what they're going to get in the bedroom. And I just want to talk a little bit about pornography and how does that impact 
whether it's erectile dysfunction or just males' sexual health in general? No, it's it's a very important topic, and I think it's becoming more and more popular. And I think it, it does have an impact. And I do want to start off by saying, you know, I've seen a lot of guys come in, young guys have come in with erectile dysfunction saying, hey, you know, I can't perform like the guys I've seen on, you know, on the mm-hmm. porn star, on whatever porn they were watching. And it gave them some stress, gave them anxiety. Maybe, you know, there's this idea of where reality doesn't fit with what you see on online. And I, and I understand that. And for that reason, we did a study where we looked at porn stars. We looked at the sexual health of porn stars. And what we wanted to do is we looked at men um, and we found we wanted to look at erectile dysfunction in male porn stars. And we wanted to look at female sexual dysfunction in female porn stars, just as a, Side note, female sexual dysfunction is very, very prevalent. It's about found in about 40 to 45% of all women greater than the ages of 18 in the United States. And it includes things like unfavorable sexual responses, lack of desire, or lack of orgasm, pain during sex. There's so many different aspects of female sexual dysfunction and female sexual health that I think is brushed under the rug and we really need to do a better job of discussing that. That's just a quick side note. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what we found was in our studies, and I love this number because you're talking about porn stars, you can't really make it up. 69% of all male porn stars <laughs> <laughs> were using like Cialis or Viagra. So they were corking the bats. And then more than half of them were using it for both work and personal reasons. So they were using it mm-hmm. at home. And then about 40% of all porn stars had ED, erectile dysfunction. And what was interesting is that the younger guys, those under 30, were using the most medications and they actually had like the worst ED. So, you know, clearly, you know, y- these guys are corking the bat. The people that you're modeling yourself after, I think it's important to know, um, you shouldn't really want to model yourself after these guys because they have the same problems that you do. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, I just told you, we just talked, it's hard sometimes for a guy to get hard, but mm-hmm. imagine trying to have sex in an unconventional manner for longer periods of time while like 10 people are zoomed in on your penis and you're doing weird stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know how you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's an important point. And then the females actually, the female porn stars actually had way less female sexual dysfunction than uh, the general population, about 24%. But it kind of made sense because the average age of the female porn stars was around 34. And I don't know if, I'm sure everyone's watched porn in their lives. Most women in porn are not 34. So, you know, I think my assumption was that it's self-selected out. If you really had pain with sex, issues with sex, you probably weren't going to be in the porn industry for a longer time. So it probably self-selected out. So that's the idea of the porn stars. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that study before we talk about pornography usage in general? I have a question that I want to ask before I it it goes away from my head. Yeah. Can you explain how does Viagra work? So you take it. Is it effective immediately? How long does it last? An amazing question because guys don't even understand this. Because what I found out is when guys come to me, they say, oh, Viagra Cialis doesn't work. My first question is always, how did you take it? When did you take it? So Viagra and Cialis, how it works is you take it. It's not like in the movies where you take it. What is it? You said Viagra and what else? Viagra. 
Cialis. There, there are two medications that are mm-hmm. pretty much the same. They're a little different just based off of, um, their pharmacological differences in like how they, how long they last in your body. So, mm-hmm. but they both do the same thing. They both give you an erection and they're both pretty much equally as good, um, in doing that. But basically it's not like the movies where you pop one of those things and you're just rock hard walking mm-hmm. around immediately. That's not how it works. So you take the medication and what it does is it increases blood flow pretty much throughout your body, but obviously to your penis. And as I talked about it before, um, blood flow, getting blood into your penis is a very important thing to get an erection. That's how you get an erection. For Viagra, you have to take it, I say, two hours beforehand mm-hmm. on an empty stomach, and then you're good for about six to eight hours. So, you know, a lot of guys yeah. like that. Yeah, but but that doesn't mean you're rock hard for six to eight hours. <laughs> you have to be stimulated. Your brain has to be like, okay, I am aroused, and then you'll get an erection. It's not like you're just walking around six to eight hours with that. What about orgasms on Viagra? Completely the same. Like how many times Every, can a guy uh, ejaculate? So that's a good question. So the the answer, so I've seen guys, they come in, and this is a, a very common misconception about is it erectile dysfunction or is it something else? Guys will come in and they'll say like, hey man, I think I have erectile dysfunction. You know, I had sex and usually I can go in the next 15 minutes, have sex again, an orgasm again. Um, but now I'm like, I have to wait two hours. Like, what's up with that? That's just called refractory time. That's not erectile dysfunction. It's just, you know, ejaculatory what is it refractory, refractory time. Refractory? Refractory time. Mm-hmm. So basically, and unfortunately, there's no real treatment for it. As guys get older, you're just not able to, you know, have as much you know, bounce back pretty much. Refractory is the bounce back time, right? You orgasm and, you know, when you're 18, you could probably go again in five minutes and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, some some guys, you just can't do it. And it's very common and and it's an age thing. And I don't really think, there's no medications I've ever come across um, that really has ever been able to improve that. Viagra Cialis will able will help you get an erection to orgasm. But, you know, if you're burnt out, like if you've kind of, Used it like it's not like you can't you mm-hmm. can you can't get it again. You can get an erection as many times as you physically can, but um, the answer how many times on average a guy can orgasm during a sexual event it I don't really know the answer. I think it depends. It's really everyone's different. So you know some guys you know they have sex once they orgasm once and that's it for them. Some other guys will be able to go two times. Some other guys will go three times. And I think it's also situational. Uh, so I, unfortunately, there's no real answer for that. Random question. <laughs> what about circumcision? Okay. How does that affect sensitivity? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So circumcision, obviously, I think is, has always had somewhat controversy. Um, so circumcision is, you know, the removal of the foreskin on men. Now, a lot of people claim that it reduces the sensitivity of your penis during intercourse. I will tell you, I've circumcised a lot of adult men. I circumcised like five people last week, but <laughs> adults, <laughs> but, uh, and pretty much, you know, the truth is it's not the case. Um, none of, no person I've ever circumcised has ever come back to me and said, I have less pleasurable sex after getting circumcised. And there's different reasons for circumcision. Obviously, when you're a kid, it's, you know, your parents make a decision or it's for religious purposes or 
sometimes the adults I see, it's not for religious purposes, it's for health purposes. Sometimes it's a cleanliness issue. Sometimes there's things where you have trouble pulling it back or it's, you know, it, it's just a personal preference. It's a cosmetic thing. So um, there's a lot of different reasons to get it. What's interesting is, you know, now there there is data based off of, you know, there's African, like studies based off of general epidemiological studies in Africa showing that circumcision reduces the rate of STDs, reduces the rate of HIV contraction. Now, that's interesting. And a lot of people say, okay, then we should all get um, circumcised. Uh, obviously, like some people claim, though, you can't bring that data to the United States because it's just a different scenario. Like people mm-hmm. live different lifestyles, you know, health, health things are different. In general, my recommendations for circumcision are, um, you know, obviously, if you're circumcised, you were circumcised when you're like a lot of times you were mm-hmm. born about the circumcision. I don't think it's anything to freak out about. You have these people protesting, you know, and Who's um, protesting. Oh my God. You've never seen, there's like a documentary on Netflix. Like people oh, saying what? like circumcising people. They're saying like, oh it's just God. like, they're like, it's mutilation, whatever. Like I'm not like, I, I'm just going to, they're going to come after me at some point probably. Uh? But, uh, but basically, listen, I think it's a preference. I think it's a preference. I, um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's bad to be circumcised. It's not bad to be uncircumcised about it's literally 50% of the population. I think now at this point is circumcised 50% uncircumcised. I think uncircumcised has made a bigger comeback recently. In general, there's nothing to worry about. It's not going to com- compromise your sexual health. You know, it can potentially compromise, like I said, uh, contraction of diseases. Uh, theoretically, at least we know the data, uh, based off of, you know, Africa studies of patients in Africa. We also know, um, it reduces the risk of things like penile cancer, um, in men circumcision. If you're circumcised, you pretty much have almost a 0% chance of getting penile cancer as well. Um, but a lot of those things have to deal with hygiene and things like that. So in what case would somebody get circumcised as an adult? in correlation to their health? Like, when would you ask for it if you're concerned about Like, what could you be concerned about? The foreskin sits over the penis and you have mm-hmm. to pull it back um, to expose the tip of the penis. Sometimes we, men can get something called phimosis and we don't know why it happens. And sometimes it happens in young guys. I've seen it in 20 year olds. I've seen it in 70 year olds. And you're not able to pull back that foreskin. So you're not able to necessarily pee or ejaculate without like dribbling out. It can get very dirty and uncomfortable. When you get an erection, you're not able to kind of get out of that thing. So it's a hygiene thing. Some people get recurrent UT urinary infections because Mm -hmm. of it. It's a hygiene thing. It's a comfort thing. Um, And that's usually the most popular reason to do it. Um, Some people, you know, with skin, skin, skin issues, skin tags, skin lesions, they decide also in that area that they say, just get rid of it. Okay, I have a really fun question. Okay. Uh, let's talk about average penis sizes. Let's do it. This is what, uh, is, what is a micro penis? How small is that? And do, uh, you know, usually people say like if his hands are big, his feet are big, his tool right. is probably big. Is that true? Right. So, in general, the answer is no. So, uh, I think so. Uh, uh, j- the data shows, and it's very hard. I'm going to say, no pun intended. It's very hard to get 
a hard penis length. Okay. So, um, why? Because a lot of the data is measured self-reported. Okay. A lot of the <laughs> methods to measure penises are inherently flawed. So you have a lot of the data is guys measuring their own penises and reporting it, or you have several different doctors, um, measuring a soft penis and then would stretch the penis to get the erect penis, which is we call stretch penile length. So obviously there's so many difficult ways in which that can go wrong. Are they a little bit aroused that day? Is it colder in the room that day? The the data is inherently flawed through the methods, but we have some general ideas. So flaccid penis around is around, you know, 3.4 to 3.7 inches in length. Flaccid means when he's down? Soft, when he's little, when he's just a little guy. Um, okay. And then the erect penis is around 5.1 to 5.5 inches. If you want to put that into centimeters, it's 13 to 14 centimeters. Mm-hmm. For the flaccid, the small penis, when it's not erect or it's not hard, it's 8.5 to about 9.5 centimeters. Now, the question about... Micropenis. What? Micropenis. <laughs> Micropenis is a real thing, unfortunately. I have seen them. I'm sure you have all, everyone's talked about seeing a micro penis, yeah. unfortunately. I always think about the Sex in the City episode with Samantha and all that stuff. <laughs> Can't but, believe you uh, watched Sex in the City. I love that. I watched it during COVID. I'm, like, I was like, all right, let me watch this. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> I think it's relatable to guys and girls. So we've all been there. If you've dated at yeah. all, I think it's great. But anyway, so. It's the less, it's like the 1% smallest of the penises data wise. And so the number that we have is less than 3.5 inches when you're erect. And I told you a regular small penis soft is 3.4 to 3.7. So you're right about when your penis is hard, it's probably around the average soft penis is kind of where we're at. And unfortunately, there's really no cure to micropenis. There's nothing you can really do for micropenis. If you identify it when you're a baby, potentially you can give like some steroid, like some testosterone cream to the penis before you hit puberty. But once you hit puberty, you know, you got what you got. I was about to ask, isn't there some ways that you could enlarge your penis or like put something like, I I have no idea, but I've seen that in movies. Yeah. So, you know, I do something called a penile implant. I put penile implants in people, but that's not to make your penis bigger. It's for guys Mm -hmm. who have erectile dysfunction where medicine doesn't work, injections don't work. And I put in a device to make them harder. They can get an erection, but their penis is not going to get bigger. And that's one of the things I stress all the time. In general, there are surgeries out there that people offer to make a penis bigger. I don't do them. I don't really recommend anyone try them or get them um, because the ironic part about those surgeries is when they go wrong, what happens? They make your penis smaller. So, So they can compromise your erections and they can actually make your penis smaller or more damaged. And every year at our conferences, we have one of the plastics guys. He's a dual plastic urology. Um, and he comes in and he shows us all of the bad cases of people who tried to make their penises bigger and how he tried to fix them. And often he fixed them, but they are way smaller than they originally were. So if, if your guy is small, I would not say don't recommend any of these things to him. He should just, mm-hmm. you know, work with what you got. You know, there's other things you can do. <laughs> what is the, what is the, okay. So we have the penis and we have balls yeah. and what is the right. part, what's that part behind that some people say that it's also like a really sensitive part, like behind the, the prostate. 
The prostate? Are you saying what? Like mm-hmm. the finger in the ass you're talking about? <laughs> no. Because that's the prostate. I wasn't, that's the, like the I wasn't talking about a finger in the ass, but <laughs> maybe we're <laughs> going to get to that too. <laughs> I know. You can bring it up. I mean, the prostate is sensitive. That's why people like that. But anyway. Okay. What is the... Uh, is everything the same sensitivity or is the tip the most sensitive or the nerve? Of the penis. Mm-hmm. Like what would you say is the most sensitive part? And why you, do men, okay, I'm going to ask you this after, yeah, yeah, yeah. why do men, when you like kick them in the balls, why are they so like, oh, it hurts? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. So the most sensitive part of the penis is usually the tip of the penis. Often uh, the area we call the frenulum, which is the, so... The top of the penis is here, like you're looking, mm-hmm. you know, the top of the penis down here is the frenulum. There's like a little band sometimes. And that's often sometimes that area, the tip is kind of the more sensitive part of the penis. So, um, yeah, that's, it's a pretty sensitive area. If you're getting aroused and you want to really arouse someone, I think that often that really works for that person. Now, why do you have pain when you get hit in the nuts? Well, I mean, your balls are very important. They are the source of your testosterone in your body as a man, and they are the source of your sperm and fertility. So, you know, your balls, although outside of your body, are are outside of your body for a few reasons. One, well, the main reason is because they need to be a couple degrees cooler than the rest of your body because that's the ideal temperature for sperm to develop. And that's why, you know, when we joke around when guys go in the pool, they get shrinkage, not only are their penis, but their balls is because your scrotum actually has muscles in it where it brings it up to keep it warm, your balls warm so that the sperm Mm -hmm. don't die when it's cold. And then they drop when it's hot out. Um, Now, why does it hurt? Now, guys will often say when they get kicked in the nuts that they feel it in their stomachs. Very interesting reason is because when men are born or before, like when they're like in utero, in, in the mother's belly, they actually, the testicles start in your abdomen and they descend down. So your nerves are all connected to around your abdomen of your testicle. So when you get kicked in the nuts, you feel it in your stomach. Um, but I feel like that's kind of why, I mean, if you get kicked in the nuts really bad and you have like a big swelling of your testicle, like that's a medical emergency because you can potentially lose your testicle. And then you might have, and then you obviously you just don't want to lose your testicle for the reasons I expressed. Okay. Let, let's, let's talk about uh, balls and testicles for a second. Yeah, yeah. Are blue balls real? Believe it or not, blue balls are real. Now I, I think it's like an old wives tale kind of thing, but let's first clarify what are blue balls for those who might not be aware of this term. Great. Blue balls are this concept of testicular pain, um, after getting aroused for a prolonged period of time, and usually it's, you just don't orgasm. Okay. So, you know, after you don't orgasm, you have guys claim or they do. Now I, I'm telling you they do can, mm-hmm. or they can not every time, uh, have, have this pain in their testicles. And the medical term is actually called epididymal hypertension. The epididymis is a part of your testicle. So it's, it's kind of like a crescent that's outside, like around your testicle. And so basically the idea, what, what people don't know is we talked about when you get an erection and you're getting aroused sexually, you get blood flow to your penis, but you also get blood flow to your testicles because your testicles are, you know, are creating sperm. They're getting ready to, you know, orgasm and ejaculate. So when you have the blood flow to your testicles and you're in a prolonged state of arousal, um, if you don't orgasm, um, then, then, and you don't orgasm or your, your arousal kind of 
just slowly diminishes off into it instead of an abruptness, you still have continued blood flow to your testicles and it causes discomfort um, and congestion of your balls. And that that's the pain, that discomfort that guys may feel. But what's good for girls to know, which is very important, it doesn't mean anything. It's not going to do anything. Like women, you don't have to finish off a guy because they have blue balls. It's not going to cause cancer. It's not going to cause any health issues. It's not dangerous in any capacity. So if a guy who has blue balls, like don't feel compelled unless you want to, to do something about it. So I think that's the most important thing to take away here. If a guy has only one testicle, how does that impact his overall sexual health, orgasms and all that? In general, the good news is that, you know, we have two for a reason. In most situations, having one testicle does not compromise your fertility and it does not compromise your testosterone. Something very interesting often happens in guys where, you know, sometimes they have one testicle, but one of the testicles was injured when they were a kid and it's very, very small. The functioning testicle can actually increase in size to compensate for the other testicle. So just like it's, it's a backup, right? Like just like we have two kidneys, we have two lungs, you know, there's a reason it's pretty cool how we were designed. Mm -hmm. as a have just a just in case situation in in our bodies when it comes to a lot of our organs so nothing most of the time nothing to worry about if you are worried obviously go talk to your doctor so i recently had a cyst on my ovary how Mm -hmm. common are cysts with the male population well, first off, I really appreciate you sharing that story because I think it was very important to talk about health and and like a lot of people we think we're young, we are young, but we don't think about our health. We start thinking about our health when we're older. And there are so many health implications that when we're young and we don't take care of ourselves can impact our later lives. So I think just dealing with the stuff like you did and making it and making it real for a lot of people, I really appreciate that. I think it's just very important to highlight that stuff. And I'm glad to hear you're doing much better. Um, but in general, cysts are not common in men. Like you can have a cyst around your testicle, like epididymal cyst. I could talk to you about that crescent area around your testicle. Mm -hmm. You don't really develop cysts much in your testicle, but epididymal cysts like that in your testicle are rather benign. In general, they don't compromise fertility uh, or your health. Unless they're causing you a lot of discomfort, I usually don't do anything about them. um, So you should should just let them be and then are they going to disappear on its own or... Well, it depends. I I think most of the time they don't disappear on their own. Sometimes they can get bigger as you get older. But I think if you have anything in your scrotum that scares the shit out of you or is not Mm -hmm. does not feel normal, you should go see a urologist or go see a primary care doctor. Because the worst case scenario is you're ignoring something like testicular cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't know what you don't know. And then that's why people, why doctors, healthcare providers are here. We're here to help you. So if you do feel something in your scrotum that you either didn't feel before or even and a lot of times, you know, it's the partner that actually sends the, the guy in, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, I felt something weird here. Um, you should go get this checked. And a lot of times, you know, we catch stuff because the partner was like, I felt something weird down there. So, you know, both guys and girls speak up if you feel something mm-hmm. weird because and go talk to your doctor about it. I think that's the most important thing. You know what I find very interesting that when it comes to STDs, guys are often just transferring them if that's correct that's what i at least i was taught growing up that usually guys don't even have many symptoms and then 
like HPV or stuff like that. They just transfer it around, but they don't even know they had it. Is that true? So I think it depends on the, on the STD. You know, mm-hmm. STDs like syphilis usually have signs and symptoms, gonorrhea, chlamydia. You know, there's usually some kind of drainage from your penis, but, but oftentimes you're right. Um, guys are often asymptomatic, but those three specifically are very treatable. So if you're having experience, like guys, their experiences are usually, you know, maybe some drainage from their penis. Sometimes they have burning with urination that they've never had before or issues with, with urinating or they have, um, pelvic floor discomfort. Sometimes they they say, you know, the area between their, their balls and their ass are a little bothered. So those are typical symptoms, but sometimes they have no symptoms. The thing about, and, but if you are having unprotected sex and you, and you care about your partner or if you're in a relationship, you should probably at least go get tested on a regular basis. That's the one thing. And if you're in a monogamous relationship and you're worried about these things before starting the relationship, I always recommend, you know, talking with, with, with your local doctor. When it, when it comes to things like HPV, HPV, you're right. In general, first off, HPV is incredibly common. About 50% of the population has it. A lot of people have it. It goes away. You never even know you had it. Um, some people have it. It sticks with them. It, there's so many different versions of it. The one thing that, uh, guys, when it comes to guys, a lot of them are asymptomatic. They don't know they have it. Um, it can present itself as genital warts, um, which can be, I've, I, you know, I can laser remove them. You can go to a dermatologist and remove them. But, um, I think it's very important, you know, to get things like the vaccine. The HPV vaccine is, I think, available to all people before the ages of, I think, 40. So, you know, it's literally one of the most easy things to do to prevent progression of problems. For guys, you know, the worst thing in general is genital warts. For women, you can get cervical cancer and it's very serious, obviously. So um, it's it's really important. It's never too late to get an HPV vaccine. I got my HPV vaccine a while ago because I didn't think that I was allowed to until like I was like, I thought they cut it off at like 25. But then as soon as I found out it wasn't, I immediately went and got it. Now, um, what's important is for guys, you can get cancer. So I'm going to motivate you now more. You think you, you can't get cancer necessarily in your penis. You can, if you ha- are uncircumcised, theoretically, you can get penile cancer through HPV, but you can get throat cancer like Michael Douglas. That's how he got throat cancer. So, yeah. you know, obviously you don't have to have penetrative sex. You can have oral sex and get it in your throat and then you can get throat cancer through HPV. So that's another reason to get the vaccine. But I do think if you do have HPV, it's, you shouldn't freak out. I think if you're a female, you should definitely talk with your gynecologist because it's very important. And, and that conversation with your partner is always a hard one, but I think it's an important one to potentially have if you know. We so were joking around uh, a finger and, you know, the S, <laughs> but why yeah, do guys, yeah. you know, some guys like it, some guys completely dislike it. Is there anything that you can share to kind of tell women what to do? (laughs) I think it's a great question. I truly don't know the data. I don't know if there is data or research on this. I think in general though, I think it's a personal preference. If a guy likes Mm -hmm. it, you know, like I said, your prostate is back there and you can kind of putting pressure on your prostate can create a, a very satisfying feeling for a lot of guys. And some guys just don't want anything up there. I think it's just, you know, preference like anything is in sex. What do you like? What don't you like? And having that conversation um, is the most important thing because some people, you know, just don't want, they feel it's being violated. Mm-hmm. Some people love it. So I, I think it's completely all about communication there. Okay. Let's talk about vasectomy. 
What is yes. it exactly in very simple terms and when should somebody get it? Right. So a vasectomy is a voluntary, permanent form of contraception in men. And basically, it's a relatively low-risk, easy procedure that we can do in the office or in the OR. And basically what we do is uh, we cut the vas deferens. Now, the vas deferens, I like to think of it as the highway that connects your testicle to the outside world. So it connects your testicle, the sperm go through this highway, they're the cars, and when you ejaculate, they meet in your urethra, which is, you know, the tube that's your pee hole, and, and it meets the rest of your semen, uh, and it's ejaculated out when you orgasm. Now, you have two testicles, you have two vas deferens. During the surgery, you can make one or two incisions, based off of the surgeon's preference, very small incisions, like less than a centimeter. Um, and uh, we isolate the vas, we cut it, we remove a segment of it, we burn both ends, sometimes we tie one end. We just don't want these two ends to ever, ever meet. And if you think about it in terms of a highway, we are demolishing that highway so no more cars can come across. And it's, like I said, very simple, very low risk. Is it painful? Um, we numb you up and, uh, I don't, I never send, most people do not get sent home with any pain medications. We tell you to ice for the first two days, ice, ice and Tylenol. And I will tell you 90% of the guys, I'll give them a call a few days later, see how they're doing. They tell me it's not, I didn't even, it's like I never even had surgery. So it's a very, very, um, easy surgery to do, very common surgery. About 500,000 people, uh, men do it a year. A couple of things that guys worry about with vasectomy is, you know, does it compromise my sexual health? The answer is no. Your sperm is only about 5 to 10% of your ejaculate. So your load, your semen volume is going to be pretty much the same. Your erections are going to be the same. Your testosterone levels are going to be the same. You're not at risk for prostate cancer or anything like that. Your orgasm feels the same. Everything feels the same. The only difference is you're shooting blanks. And it's a really great procedure, especially in today's day and age with the Roe v. Wade thing going on. It's it's obviously we really need to advocate for women's health. Um, and if you're a guy and, and you really don't want to put your partner at risk for an unwanted pregnancy, especially in today's day and age, this is an excellent option. And just to give you an idea of the success of the surgery, um, there's two concepts of success here. One is the success rate of getting no sperm in your ejaculate. And that's about nine, over 99%. So it's a very high success rate surgery. Now you say, what is the chances of having a pregnancy after a successful vasectomy. The number is one in 2000. And now I think a lot of people will be like, oh, that's not that, that's not that Yeah, I was that about to low. react like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, like I have, hopefully you're gonna have sex more than 2000 times. Like what happened one time? Just to give you perspective, birth control with the human element involved, it has about a 7% chance of pregnancy, oral birth control, um, using it. This is over 140 times more effective than oral birth control. So it's a really great option um, that I think that if you are not interested in children or if you're not interested in, in having any more children, it's a great option for you. If you're thinking, hey, I don't want to have a pregnancy for five years, but I want to have a kid after that, this is a terrible option. Do not do, do this. Um, so I can you tell reverse guys it? Permanent. You can. I do reversals um, because I do understand life happens. We understand, you know, people 
are in a relationship, they get divorced, they find a new partner, they want to start a new family. About 6% of vasectomies a year are reversed, but the success rate is not 100%. It is about, can be as high as, low as 60 to 90% success rate. And it also takes time. And it's also cash pay. The insurance does not cover the reversal. Vasectomy is usually covered by insurance. Okay, I have one final question. What is the biggest misconception when it comes to sex? So I think... This is a great question because, uh, I, and I think we've been alluding and building up to this idea is the biggest misconception about sex is really that guys often only consider penetrative sex, sex. And we've already established there's so many different variations of sex. There's, you know, vaginal, anal, fingering, hand jobs, masturbation, oral sex. There's so many different ways that partners can get themselves off. And I think this is a very important idea kind of for two reasons. One, um, guys don't really understand that the majority of women don't orgasm through penetrative sex. The data shows that only about 10 to 15% of women um, actually are able to orgasm through penetrative sex. They need clitoral stimulation. And that often doesn't come with sex. So, or, you know, you have to at least be conscious of it during sexual activity. So guys, if you want to get your partner off, you got to be doing a little bit more than penetrative sex for the most part. Um, and then the second thing I bring this up, and it's important, is because just because you, your penis doesn't work or you have erectile dysfunction in the moment doesn't mean the sex session is over. It doesn't have to be over because just because you can't penetrate doesn't mean you can't do other stuff with your partner, right? You can provide oral sex. You can do, you know, you know, hand stuff, heavy petting, whatever you want to do. There's other stuff. And oftentimes guys get so get aroused from that that you can get your erection right back up. So, you know, there's just, it's, it's just really important that we, we spread this word and people understand it's, it's not just penetrative sex that is sex. Um, so I think that's the biggest misconception. What do you think? Am I right here? Or? I agree. And I think that for women, sex is way different than for men. Men often can be like, yo, you want to bang, especially when they're in long-term <laughs> relationships. Yeah. And women need much more. They need a lot of foreplay. They need attention. For women, sex happens a few hours before even like if you are dating somebody maybe you live together and he didn't do his i don't know he's leaving his socks all over the place if you don't feel seducted in a certain way sex is not really going to happen that easy so i think unfortunately i have more female listeners than male but i would say to all of those male listeners that they gotta step up their game when it comes to sex in a sense like it doesn't start in the bedroom per se like it starts also how you treat her during the day or if if you are expecting her to do maybe all the housework or if you know she was working the entire day and you come home and you're like yo you want to do it's like no just put me in the mood do something nice and then you know it's so for women, it's more mental than just physical. I love that saying, sex doesn't just start in the bedroom. I've never thought about that or heard that. I think that's a really great line that you should use. And I Thank might you. use for sure. I will sure. trademark it. <laughs> you should trademark it because you can it, use it's it. very you can true. Use it. No, but it's very true because it's it's online with everything that we've talked about. I, I really enjoy this conversation and I love that we can have like a super chill conversation about something that is still such a stigma. And my goal is to 
destigmatize all these things that are such a common part of our day-to-day lives. So I appreciate all of your knowledge, your insight and all that. And I would love for you to share your socials, your podcast, where can everybody find you? Great. Thank you. This was really fun. And I I agree. This is an important part of people's lives that they, for whatever reason, just don't want to talk about. And we need people to talk about it if you ever want to have it the best that it can be. Um, but, uh, so you can find me on all my, on Twitter, Instagram. I have TikTok, but I don't really make content yet. I'm a little intimidated, but at Justin Dubin MD, uh, is on Instagram. Um, my podcast is the man up podcast. Um, you can find us on all, you know, Spotify, iTunes, all podcasting platforms. Um, our socials are at the man up pod. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions, comments, you can always reach out to me on my socials. Um, and, uh, obviously it's a, we have a great resources for guys, but also their partners to, you know, send to their guys. And, and that's a lot of the people that I get questions about. It's usually the partner saying like, Hey, thank you for this. Cause I'm going to get my guy to listen to this so that they can understand what's going on. So, uh, thanks again for having me on. This was really great. Of course. I, I love this conversation. I feel like I learned a lot and Hopefully our listeners learned a lot and they're going to share this with their partners in case they didn't really feel like they can have a conversation with them in a real life. So yeah, thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.